My day job is uh, the music librarian for Warner Brothers. So I, that mainly entails um, just keeping the archive up to date with all of our new uh, feature film music, both the audio as well as the physical sheet music. Um, and uh, being able to also recall any scores from the past that have been archived by my predecessors and um, make the, that available to orchestras that want to perform it live or you know publishing companies that want to publish our music for their ensemble there's various reasons why people will need to recall them um, so that's a little bit about what I do there and when I'm not doing that I'm either playing in a cumbia slash salsa band, my jazz trio, or making weird experimental synth loop based music. I don't know what to call it really, but something like that. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much, that's the majority of what I do. Yeah. In a nutshell. That's cool, man. Um... Have you, so what have you been working on recently? You got any cool new projects or like as far as like the, I mean, anything really, but you said you had some like yeah, no. sound and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, I just released an album in June. Yes, it was June. Um, and it's called Instrumentals Volume 1. And it was just a collection of songs that I recently wrote with my loop station where I basically would take synthesizers and guitars and loop them over each other and then record those loops and chop them up in Ableton and rearrange them to make actual like songs. So it's not just a 10 minute constant loop of um, music. So. That was released, and I, I have still a lot of leftover material and other things that I just, you know, I had to put off to the side and say, okay, I'll, I'll tackle these, this set of songs later. And um, so now I'm actually getting re ready to release a second volume. I'm hoping that'll be out by the end of September. That's the, the, the projected timeline for, for that project. Um, but I'm simultaneously also working on producing a friend of mine's album. Her name is Annalise, which I know you've already heard actually some of the, the songs on this uh, project, Randall, because you helped me record some drums at the studio there for it, um, which was super fun. Yeah, And that yeah. was just before lockdown. <laughs> Man, what well, <laughs> seems like forever ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember. That, that, yeah, that was fun. That was kind of like a, a covert operation. You know, we had to like <laughs> to get into the building. <laughs> like they're just starting to close things down. I remember that. So like, yeah, they sent out an email that just morning. before they closed it down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it wasn't official yet, so you you don't you're not going to get in trouble, right? <laughs> no. Well. <laughs> just edit this part out later. <laughs> 
Just edit out. Yeah. Um, no, that was that was a fun time. Yeah. That was a fun time. So which uh, I remember we uh there's like a few different artists, right? Yeah, that's right. Actually, there was the other single that I was working on. Um, and you know, there's been some holdups with that, and we're going to actually redo the drums again. So, mm. you know, you know how it goes. Yeah. There's you know, one person has one vision, another person has another vision. And you got to make compromises to make that vision happen. So, right. um, but that is also in the works. I won't say any sort of timeline for that project because um, it's got to just, it's got to happen at its own pace, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm getting really close with uh, Annalisa's album name is Annalise Castillo. Go check her out. She's an awesome songwriter. Um, we're working on a record together. And that one's coming actually really close to the finish line. I'm, I basically got a collection of her songs that she wrote. And um, she said, just go to town with them, orchestrate them however you want, rearrange them however you want. Just I, I don't know what to, where to take them from here, and I just want a fresh pair of ears on them. So I started, you know, chopping up her verses and choruses and moving things around and then writing bass lines and guitar parts and string parts and horn parts. And uh, we got Raphael on the drums at that one session that we did, and those stems sound great. I already mixed some of those drums that we recorded, and they sound awesome, so... So have you uh, worked doing like this being a, you know, producer sort of thing before? Is this like, um, what's that process been like for you? It's, it's, it's always evolving for sure. Um, I've worked on my own stuff, you know, like through just writing and arranging music and producing my own music, but that's because that's how... I hear it in my head. This is actually kind of some of my first venturing out into producing with other people, um, with collaborating with songwriters in particular. Because um, most of my music is pretty much instrumental. There's not a whole lot of lyrics or, um, you know, voices in general in my particular type of music that I like to create. So this has been a lot of fun to actually have somebody else kind of come up with the, the, the bones of a song, you know, and, and have me bring that into, into reality for them, you know, uh, kind of like George Martin, I guess, from, mm. from Beatles. But, uh, that, that's, he's one of my biggest inspirations, but, uh, it's been a really fun process because I've been able to implement all of these sort of tools that I've been learning just through the years of being a musician that, you know, it's, it, it's like everything kind of compounds on itself. Everything from performance and playing and writing and composing and recording and production 
and like all these things are kind of like um, coming together in one project and it's been really fun to see how that unfolds and also give myself deadlines and timelines to to meet because without those I won't get anything done you know so yeah right that's just how I work <laughs> yeah. but it's been really fun putting all these puzzle pieces together and it's turning into something really awesome I'm I can't wait to show you these finished products um, we're hoping to get that released before the end of the year so be on the lookout for all that yeah that's really cool man do you see so you mentioned working on your own stuff do you see it differently being like having the producer hat on working with someone else versus working just like your own music absolutely and I, I really appreciate it because there were times where for her project in particular I'm actually working on a couple other projects as a cause as a you know just word of mouth from other people who have heard stuff that I've done they say hey I have a song I want you to help me work on that but for because hers is a whole album I gotta say that it's nice to have feedback from somebody else because I hear I heard one song one way you know and I was hearing she wrote this song and it, I was hearing it with sort of us like trap beat almost Billie Eilish kind of that you know very melodic but uh, dark trap ish pop I guess I don't know I, I heard it with that sort of style and then she was like, actually, I was thinking it should be like, <laughs> and this is going to sound so out of left field. She said, I, I was hearing it more as like something like Benny and the Jets from Elton John. And I was like, oh, okay. And both versions like just did not appease either of us. And we were like, let's try it as a cumbia, you know, cause that's, and, and it, and I swear it's like the song sounds like it should, like that's the way it was supposed to sound from the beginning. But it took that, that sort of like approach of like, okay, here's some chords and a melody with some lyrics. Where, where does your mind take you when you hear this? And mine was in a totally different headspace than hers. And hers was in a totally different space than mine. And both of us were like, okay, we got to find something that works for the both of us. And it was something that was completely different than both of the ideas, you know, which were already very different to begin with, to find this final version. And I just, that was a moment for me that I thought was really exciting. Because if it was just up to me, if I was just working by myself and I, was in this if she, if she was taken out of the equation you know it would have been something totally different and in my opinion probably not as good compared to what it's turning into now you know so that was a really fun experience with working with somebody else that I'm always looking forward to and just getting the the feedback and encouragement to throughout the process is is always it's just nice it's very rewarding yeah, yeah, definitely. Feeling a, a part of like a collaborative process or like um, a band is 
it's uh it's it's just a different process you know there's like it's cool to be able to have the collaborative effort you know where to bounce off ideas and stuff and mm -hmm. it's different because you you know you'd come up with things you wouldn't normally come up with um yeah but in some ways from my own ex personal experience like i've been in bands it was like almost too democratic everyone has their own yeah opinion and then we sort of clash and like <laughs> um well you got to pick your battles right yeah yeah you know like there were definitely moments like that where i was hearing one thing and she was like no nah, i'm not feeling that and sometimes you know i'd i'd be like yeah you're right it, it, it doesn't need it you know even though i thought deep down maybe maybe it could be there it wouldn't be that bad but i was like i'll let i'll let this one go but then there have been times where i was like this song needs this and you know and the same thing happens it's just a give and take sort of that's that's been working for me so far at least yeah um so but i hear you there's definitely been times where i've butt heads with not her but other people and yeah you know do you find it easier because like sometimes I know it's like in the creative process you kind of have to shut off the part of the brain that's like critical of like things you do just to like start working with ideas um, do you yes. find it easier to be like critical and make those sort of like decisions sitting in like the producer chair rather than also being the creating the main bones of like the songs and stuff yeah kind of because well it depends on the situation but to me, when somebody is tasked with the role of producer, that means that they're kind of steering the ship, you know? They're the ones who have to make those decisions, you know? And once again, it's a give and take for sure, but it's definitely a different power dynamic than being just the bass player, right? <laughs> Yeah. or just the drummer in this in the session or just the engineer you know like when you're the producer it's like you you have a certain set of obligations just like the engineer has his set of obligations and so that's why i think it's easier for me to to make that decision if i've been tasked with being the producer you know have you listened to cardi b's wop what'd you call me no i'm just kidding <laughs> Um, have I listened to it? Yeah. You know, Randall, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I have not clicked play on that song. Not out of like any sort of like pretentiousness being like, oh, I refuse to play that song. Like I just, it, I haven't felt really compelled to spend any time on it just quite yet. Um, yeah. it, it, I have heard it because I scroll through Instagram and Snapchat and you, you hear the song through, I've heard the song through there or like it's playing on the radio in the background of a store or not that I've gone to stores, but you know, like out in the cars or mm -hmm. you just hear it around. Right. Yeah. Uh, so in my very long winded answer to your question, I kind of have heard it. I get the gist of it. Well, I'm pretty sure my, my brain can fill in all the blanks, but yeah, yeah, I, 
I, you know, I looked it up just because I saw some posts about it, you know, just for like educational purposes, like what's this hype about, you know? Um, and I feel like we should just, you should just look it up right now and just watch like, um, just, just watch just, the video. Yeah. The video, you don't need to watch the whole thing. Cause like you get the gist of it, but, um, just, yeah. Cause, no. cause I'd like to hear your opinion on it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I think if I give an opinion on it, um, I'm going to look up the explicit version, by the way. Um, if I give an opinion, I ought to see it in its full glory. So yeah. stand by. Can you hear this in the background? Oh, my God. <laughs> just, I mean, it's not long. Just just watch the whole thing. I'll, I'll, I'll be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to just start scrolling through at this point. Okay, there's this weird little scene. Who's that? Is that what's her name? I like these use of color palettes. Well, okay. Alrighty. Randall, I'm back on planet Earth with you. Cool. So, what would your unbiased musical uh, opinion of this piece be? Well, from a collegiately educated standpoint on music, by the way, meaning I have a degree in music, uh, for those who did not catch that, <laughs> um, you know, I got to say, it's, it's the definitive. The definition of the, the phrase sex sells. And the reason being that I can guarantee you that song has made infinitely more money than anything that I've ever put out combined for the next 100 years. So is it music? Yes. It's got rhythm. It's got lyrics. It's got rhyming it's got tonal qualities and somebody had to you know mix it master it produce it put it out on the market market it cardi b had to sing it you know that it, it is music it is popular it's probably made a crap load of money it's going to probably be used to sell who knows what sort of products, you know, it's got commercial and, and it, it's got what it's got, but you know, will I listen to it ever after this? Personally? No, probably not. No offense, Cardi B, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, does she listen to avant-garde jazz every day? Maybe, probably not. Maybe I, that'd be awesome. But you know, it, the point is that it's not for everybody, you know. I don't think I listen to Gregorian chant or Tibetan throat singing on the, on, on the daily. It's just not, you know, my thing. No, no offense to anybody who uh, loves that song. Mm -hmm. you know, that's you. More power to you. I got to say, though, the, vi the video <laughs> was really well done, although it was very, very, you know, risque.
Yeah. And a little vulgar. Uh, there's, you know, there's no it, denying the production value of it. Like, it's definitely yeah. high quality, like, put together. Um, and even but, the concept of how, you know, like, the perspectives were very um, distorted and the walls were all crooked in the beginning. And it's got a lot of really cool, surreal elements to it. Or how like certain rooms would have very specific color palettes assigned to them, or themes. I thought that was that was all really well done. I gotta say, you know, well, that's my two cents on. Do you think there's anything um, within? So we've been talking about like our opinions of it, but do you think there's anything within music that can be objectively good or of quality, or objectively bad? not of quality um well i love the quote from duke ellington which is there's only two kinds of music there's good music and there's bad music and i think the thing is that it's really objective to begin with or it's 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 subjective it's not objective <laughs> it's it's like it really is just depending on individuals, you know, because there's some people out there and this is going to be forever. There's always going to be some people who love the Beatles and there's going to be some people who just don't like the Beatles, you know, and it's just that it's not for everybody. It's not always relevant for everybody depending on types of music. So I, I don't think there is ever good or bad music, you know, because it's just, it will resonate with some and it will not resonate with others. That's just the bottom line. I mean, there's definitely some music that requires a lot more craft and a lot more time and dedication into creating versus other types of music, you know. The easy example would be like, you know, a three-piece punk rock band does not require as many musicians, microphones, you know, years of studying music theory as it does to record a full orchestra playing a, you know, a suite, you know, that some composer wrote for a film, for example. Those are two completely different types of music. And does that mean that one's good and another's bad? Uh, no, I think they both can be good you know it doesn't i don't know it's a i feel like i'm constantly contradicting myself in everything that i'm saying <laughs> you I, know i don't think um, you have. I, I totally follow what i don't saying. think you're good you know no i yeah i don't think you've contradicted yourself at all i don't think there's many things like within music or art you could say are objective i think you can say that a lot of art and music is enjoyable because of patterns like patterns within the sound or the structure or like yeah beats or riffs or whatever patterns um, within patterns yeah yeah but your refrigerator can make a noise and it can have a pattern you know that's not saying much um yeah that's true but i do think that certain genres have things that are subjective to them you know, if you, you said punk rock, for example, if someone's playing punk rock and they're like out of tune, 
most people probably wouldn't care. But if you like, if you play that into like the classical setting and someone's playing out of tune in like a suite, you know, like the first yeah. violin's playing it's, out of tune it, the entire time, yeah. like they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't be allowed back, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, you went to the wrong gig, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, definitely. Yeah, there, there definitely can be, there, there can be bad music within, you know, I guess stylistic goals. Yeah. Or even if it was the, the, the opposite, if somebody was playing a punk rock gig, but they had a nylon string acoustic guitar and yeah. did not even plug it into, you know, a distortion box, people would be like, this is not punk rock. This needs yeah. to, you know, this is some hippie music right here or something. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it goes both ways, you know, it, mm. I guess I, okay. So I was looking at it on a more global scale across all sorts of music, I guess, but mm-hmm. within specific genres, yeah, there can definitely be bad music <laughs> yeah. now that we're, now that we're talking about it actually. But then again, sometimes when you juxtapose things and flip things around, you can create new things that may not necessarily sound good on paper, but when you execute it, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, for example, I remember the first time I heard a mixture between sort of like almost emo and pop punk and rap. Basically, the first time I heard it, I was like, this is awesome. But if somebody was describing it to me, I would be like, that sounds weird. I don't know how that would fly, you know? Yeah. So, but it's because they're kind of outside of each other's realms Mm -hmm. that when you do mix the two, it's awesome. (laughs) But, uh. Yeah. No, I think people that go outside the norms, like that's how you get really cool new innovative stuff you know all kinds of music does that you know like fusion blending different styles of music together that wouldn't necessarily uh go together normally yeah yeah there's a lot of examples of that you know with um popular music today or someone like charles ives well that's bad music right there for (laughs) no (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) bad music charles Charles ives just across the bot across the board that's just straight up bad music <laughs> well yeah of course uh, <laughs> that's classical and out of tune yeah already two strikes no i'm just kidding out of tune it's it's funny have you uh messed around with like uh microtonal music at all no well sort of a little bit like um only in the sense that my synth has ways to like detune itself so it gets in that microtonal realm where you're like is that sharp or flat or not or all of them <laughs> you know but not not extensively no you 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 do a little bit of that though right didn't you tune your piano to microtonal yeah, yeah. I've, I've dabbled a little bit in that but yeah what you're talking about i had a so i had an upright piano that um my mom's neighbor uh her husband used to play but he passed away so she didn't know what to do with it so i just she's like do you want a piano i was like yeah 
<laughs> and then um so i had i had the upright <laughs> piano and then um so basically i just i like what i was trying to do like i was is to make it into like quarter tones you know so like uh a step so each in step was actually a quarter yeah like in between semitones you know like a half sharp yeah. and a sharp and you know so i was kind of aiming for that Ooh. but i've yeah. never tuned a piano before so like <laughs> i wasn't very good at it and it was like an old piano so it kind of oh, just became like its own thing uh which was still cool <laughs> like as an experiment to do and um yeah i think i have like a video somewhere where like i played um this chopin piece like the fantasy impromptu like on this piano that's like that's right i saw that yeah <laughs> and that was it was, was a it was a study in rhythm is what it was because um, you, you played all the same rhythms from the mm, from that yeah. piece but yeah you know technically all the, the notes were different yeah like i could kind of like recognize it you know like oh that's that chopin thing but not you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably be good for like a prepared piano too like you could throw some screws and yeah. nails and little shreds of metal throughout it tin foil yeah i don't have it anymore unfortunately because i moved and i couldn't like i don't have space for it so but you mean you didn't take your out of tune upright piano with you monster yeah <laughs> yeah that was that was cool that uh to see you you do that stuff live that performance you did um what i also thought was really cool is like you had that um some kind of drum machine or something that was like not necessarily it like wasn't locked to a grid with like the other loops that you were doing so it like kind uh, of slowly get like out of phase out a little of phase. Bit, you know yeah yeah um thank you i appreciate that it's it's always good just quick little compositional uh factoid nugget right here for those listening um that it's good to have something off the grid sometimes you know because if everything's always quantized and perfectly cut straight to a grid it sounds way too uh mechanical i guess you know it's good to always not always but once in a while introduce something that is totally not synced to to a specific grid at all it helps just kind of give interest and liveliness to it otherwise very sterile sound you know yeah, it kind of loses a little bit of like the human element, you know, if everything's always locked to the grid, you know. Right. Especially with that rig that I had that you saw, everything is technically being controlled through the loop station. So that sends out like a master clock signal to the synthesizer and my arpeggiators. And mm. so everything can start sounding very mechanical very quickly. So. That's why it's good to have, like, I had, what you were referring to actually is not the drum machine. It was, um, 
it was a delay pedal that I had, but you could create a sound on sound loop that is basically just, you know, it's like having a, a, a free set of time. Uh, that's the wrong wording. It's like having a, like, like a, like a little tape loop where it's not locked to like, you know, a quantized grid or a, a yeah. digital signal of any sort. It's completely free. Yeah, I would use I would use that sometimes just to throw in some cool little melody that would just start slowly getting offset by the beats over time, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, that was really cool because like a lot of people that do loops and stuff like that, everything is like you know right on the grid because it needs to be mm -hmm. for what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was really cool to like see and hear you know happen. Thanks, man. Um, it's a little scary sometimes. I'm not going to lie, because it's totally improvised in nature, so you can have an idea of how you want something to turn out, and it will kind of sometimes take its own life. Sometimes it'll kind of go as planned, or close to as planned, but <laughs> um, I appreciate that. That's, you know, it's something that's just it's been really fun for me just to kind of like almost use this not only a composition compositional process and tool, but just even as like a, you know, almost like a meditative thing. Like sometimes like, you know, when you're just sitting around the house and you're just like noodling on guitar, it's not like you're really practicing anything. Do you do that? Or is it just me? Yeah. Like, yeah, I do that. You do it's... Right? Where it's just like, you're not practicing. You're just kind of like noodling and, so it's kind of like that, I guess, where it's just like, you know, it, it's fun to just kind of explore certain textures or sounds and I cons, you know, concepts for composition and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's kind of the nature of analog synths too. You kind of get a new sound every time you tinker with it. And it's like hard to like really compose something in the traditional sense that it's the same sound every time because it's like hard to get to the exact same sound every time at least for me when i've experimented with like analog synths of like trying to get oh this sounds really cool like how do i get back to that one thing but like it's it's always yeah. like, when i go back to it that sound is like gone forever you know it's just <laughs> i know it's, it was cool yeah that that that's kind of the that's kind of the catch of it i guess you know is that it's kind of it, it forces you to be in the moment in the sense that it's like you're directly manipulating the sound and you know it forces you to to be that much more present while you're doing it although i agree getting back to those presets if you don't have a way to save them is a little frustrating sometimes <laughs> yeah um, I, f I find it funny to imagine like they just have like a whole team of people just like looking through other music to see if it violates their copyright i mean do, do you know if like they have well, people on staff like just looking through stuff or uh not that i'm aware of but i know that a lot of i can tell you that a lot of the the first round of like filtering out stuff a lot of it's actually done nowadays through uh ai and algorithms yeah. so you just upload your music and you know it, it even works for people who have uploaded to Spotify and stuff. It's not exclusive to us by any means, but 
a lot of times when music gets uploaded and processed by these and ID'd by these AIs, they can they can pick up not only the recordings of like the original recordings, but they'll flag people's videos, of course, that are doing covers and stuff. So it's not even like that specific recording. They're looking for certain melodic patterns, words, chord progression, harmony. Like there's all these other things that the, it's not even human going through. (laughs) So um, I'm sure after that point, there's some sort of person or team or way to kind of further investigate all of these claims. But yeah, I'm definitely one of the people in the chain that if it gets escalated high enough, they'll have me listen and say, yeah, well, the melody is totally the same or, oh, well, you know, they kind of changed this around. So it's different enough or, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag depends on, on the exact situation. So. Yeah. No, that, that makes total sense. Never a dull moment. Yeah. <laughs> it totally makes sense that they would have AI doing that sort of thing. Um, yeah. The thousands of videos that get uploaded every day. It's like, yeah. it'd be impossible for people yeah. to keep up with that. I remember there was another thing I remember we were talking about before. Someone that developed uh, some AI program or something to like mix and it would, it was some, like you just upload a song and it would mix it for you. Do you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have that. I thought that was you um, to talk about that with, but I, I think we were talking about mastering actually. Maybe okay. Um, I'm sure there is a mixing version too, but actually, I ended up using an AI to master my first instrumentals album, mm. and I gotta say it turned out pretty good you know the levels all came out nice and the bass was punchy and you got a little extra clarity and in the synths and stuff it 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 definitely recompressed and you know reanalyzed the music for the better you know i i I didn't exactly compare it to a human mastering so i it could have been better but for my purposes i actually didn't mind it i thought it was pretty good yeah it's it's interesting like getting AI involved with like music, like computer programs that can like, you know, create music, quote unquote. Yeah, I, I've listened to like a few of like the songs generated by like some of these like, you know, computers or whatever. It, it's kind of weird, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any thoughts it is. about that? Or? It's changed over time because when I first heard about it, I was like, oh God, now the computers are coming for our jobs as composers. And then people are going to get used to hearing like the most lame sort of computer generated music in the world and, you know, all that stuff. And then I went to some little seminars at the NAM convention this year and they touched on the topic of AI generated music in a couple of these particular seminars. And the way that people were looking at it was more of just like it isn't replacing the composer it's more like an assistant where it will you can just sort of like plug in variables and it will generate something like within seconds and if you don't like it you just have it generate something again and then until you find something like oh that's that's kind of cool and then you could work with it from there and so 
they were sort of implying it, it's more of like a co-composer or like a tool or a, 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 another instrument available to you, yeah. which totally opened my mind up to the possibilities of it, even to the point that recently, actually, I started looking at creating generative music within Ableton Live, where you can pretty much have like, you can have like a, a, a MIDI pattern, let's say, and have it play on loop. And then that MIDI pattern can get fed into things that are generating notes. And then you can have those notes get fed into a thing that generates specific scales. And so then you can make it tonal and then you can have it, you know, also be triggering drums and have it be pretty much completely to the point that you have all these little, it's almost like modular synthesis, but within Ableton Live. So instead of having little modular things doing specific tasks and routing them to each other, you're just doing it all inside the box. So it's fascinating to me actually at this point to like get into that where you're play, where you're taking yourself out of the whole idea of, oh, I'm going to play this G minor chord and then it's going to go to D7. And then it's, go, you know, like having to think about notes and chords and all that. And you're thinking more like, okay, I want a note to be generated every three sixteenth notes instead of, you know, and then move to half notes. And, you know, you're like thinking more of like, like values and ratios and dynamics and other things other than just the notes themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're, it's like you're planning out uh, and, and manipulating the variables that are creating the sound. Yeah. That's, it's almost like, a form of like serialism, you know, the yeah. composers did with like exactly 12 tone, you know, it's just a different type of process yep. you're putting on your composition. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like you, you set the variables and then you have it unwind itself. Essentially it's a, it, you're, you're exactly right. The parallels between serialism and, and that are, actually incredibly similar where you're not making decisions based on musicality but based on well in the case of serialism it you're it's based off of the limitations you set by that cell that you create versus i agree yeah, yeah. <laughs> my thoughts are rushing faster than i can speak but i, I agree completely uh with what you're saying about the parallels between the two yeah yeah no it's very fast yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's kind of the conclusion I've reached too about computer generated music, uh, you know, because the stuff they're feeding into it, like there's still a human that has to like set the parameters for the music that it creates. Right. So they, you know, they feed it a bunch of pop music or classical music or whatever. What it uh, creates, you know, is just a new jumbled version of like one of those songs in that style, you know. So yeah, I really see it as like just another tool. It feels a little bit more creepy at first, but uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's there's like other examples of that too, like using of composers using like um, computers to generate certain parameters for things, not necessarily like complete songs, but you know, I think um, the composer like Zanakis. Uh, 
used like some computer he he had some computer music and like some there's some program that he used i'm not super familiar with it so i don't i'm not gonna touch too much about it but i know like brian fernie how use some computer program generate some of these ratios um that he would use for his music like some of the polyrhythms that he would use mm-hmm. he would uh, there was a program are you, are you familiar with brian fernie how and like the new complexity composers i can't say i'm actually super familiar i'm yeah. willing to write that down and look them up. yeah so it's basically like kind of part of like the new complexity school or whatever just like uh okay. but basically his scores what they'll look like is like um series of like po- hyper complex polyrhythms like 92 uh versus 116 and like under oh that like three against seven and then like nested tuplets like all that kind of stuff 17 against 15 13 against 24 three against seven five oh against eight and there's a series of them with like like nest- yeah <laughs> So I'm like, just joking. there'll be like a big 92 versus, uh, you know, 37. And then it's inside that there'll be like another nested tuplet of like three against seven. And then inside that there'll be another nested tuplet of like triplets. It's just super hyper dense yeah. um, music. And then yeah. 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 I think like three levels as far as he goes, like nested tuplet inside a nested tuplet um but yeah but there would be if you kind of like analyze the score you start to see like certain ratios will kind of pop up again and again like 10 against 11 i think was one that he'd use kind of frequently um but he was using a computer program to basically generate these uh number like the ratios so like a computer program would like basically punch out a list of all these ratios and then he would just pick a few that he liked and then use that wow. in his composition. So that's like um, another example of just like, you know, it's just like another tool, like another process. Yeah. Similar to like, or like when composers yeah. would roll the dice to, uh, you know, yeah, it's just generative, which is really, I think the, the foundation, the working word there is like, it's just it's it kind of kickstarts the engine for you and inspires you to either reject or roll with it. You know, played around a little bit with that idea too of like creating new processes and stuff. As a composer myself, like I'm always struggling with the idea of like I want to do something new. You know, like I don't want to keep creating the same yeah. music I've been creating. So then, yeah, I have the feeling that if I'm always relying on my uh, intuition or what's like naturally sounds good to me that I will, you know, kind of revert to like just recreating the same things. So like my thought process is like, how can I get out of creating a process might be a way to get out of what I would normally write, you know? Totally. That. And for me, I've also found that really kind of focusing on sonic palette makes a difference for me in terms of writing music like if i'm writing for just because because with with a laptop you know and logic or ableton you can literally create anything it's like the universe is your your imagination is really your limit 
in that circumstance. So I like to limit myself sometimes to just thinking about, okay, I'm only going to use acoustic and electric guitar for a track, you know, mm-hmm. and limiting your sonic palette in that sense. Or like thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to create a song that's going to have only synthesizer and sampled instruments. Or, you know, just figuring out what your limitations are, I think, help a ton for like getting new, so you don't fall in those pitholes of like writing the same sort of stuff. Because when I hear certain instruments, I feel more inclined to write certain ways. You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Like if I'm holding an acoustic guitar, I'll play it way differently than I'll play an electric guitar versus a mandolin, you know? Definitely. Yeah, there's just like, you know, a certain connotation that goes along with certain instruments, like, you know, banjo is like associated with the South, you know, and bluegrass. Totally. Um, But also, you know, and taking those traditions and totally flipping them too. Because like, I've heard one of my, uh, one of my friends plays she plays like everything that's basically stringed, but she can read so wickedly well that she was holding this like tenor banjo thing. I think it was a tenor banjo one time and just started like sight reading some Bach on it. And it sounded freaking so cool just because it was like, it was refreshing because you never hear Bach on a, on that sort of instrument timbre, you know? Yeah. And I mean, people like, uh, what's his name? Chris Steele? Isn't that his name? I'm probably butchering his name. He's a he's a mandolin player. Yeah, Chris T H I L E Thiel. Uh, he's a mandolin player who does that you know bluegrass stuff wickedly well. But then he has albums where he's playing you know violin sonatas by Bach and all this classical repertoire on non-traditional instruments. Yeah. I think I've seen a video of him playing. I could be wrong, but it was a guy playing mandolin. He was playing like Bach or something. Um, yeah, it was probably him. Yeah. <laughs> He's the only guy in the world that does that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely helping. Like to me, if I feel like I've been writing the same sort of stuff over and over, I'll just try and throw a different instrument into the mix or rework something with different instruments or limit myself to using only a certain palette. Yeah, that's cool. Do you see that in like, or have you noticed that in like film music too, that there's like kind of like trends or like cliches, I guess, that tend to happen a lot? Absolutely. Yeah. It's nothing new either. Um, I mean, one of the most famous examples is 2001 Space Odyssey. The original score for it, well, the score that they use in the film is all 20th century classical music, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a very conscious choice by the director because previous to that, the cliche for space music was, you know, like a theremin and, you know, uh, yeah. all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So music totally may seem relevant for something at a certain point, but it inevitably always becomes cliche and outdated by something else. Another great example, if you listen to a lot of scores from the 80s, 
that's when synthesizers were just starting to get mass produced and you know that that's where that's where they they really developed was obviously in the 80s mm-hmm. so it had an effect on the film music to the point that all the a lot not all but a lot of film scores had you know arpeggiated bass lines and synths mm-hmm. you know and the very the sounds that are very cliche or can be thought of as cliche but just era defining you know and as you go into the 90s everything becomes way more orchestral it's like they almost got sick of that whole synthesized orchestra sound mm-hmm. you know like blade runner and stuff which is brilliant by the way like the blade runner soundtrack was revolutionary for its time but started influencing all the film scores of the era and everybody was starting to rip off of it and it just became cliche and then in the 90s everything gets super orchestral 2000s it's actually kind of a hybrid of both and you get people like Hans Zimmer who are at the forefront with like Inception that has a ton of um sequenced drums and synthesizers plus really amazing orchestral writing on top of that it's it's kind of the best of both worlds to the point that you know everybody started copying that sound and it's happening again and you know there's it's definitely a thing i think which is cool because it's always evolving similar like jazz you know like if jazz never evolved it would have it it still sound like it would it, it would still sound like the music from the 30s you know like that very almost cartoon like new orleans traditional style you know like it it evolved out of that into big band and cool jazz and avant-garde and contemporary and you know all these different subgenres film music similar in the same sense it constantly is morphing and changing and and also sort of you know there there are sort of cycles that you can see because sort of i'd almost say starting to become a revival in like musicals you know when you ha- when you think about movies like frozen in the heights which is going to come out that's a huge musical la la land was a musical like yeah. there's these big broadway-esque musical productions which you know i wouldn't say were as popular 5 or 10 years ago you know and that whole sense of the big broadway orchestra thing is super cool and totally making a comeback yeah and that kind of reminds me of phantom of the opera where the music and that had like a lot of synth and a lot of like orchestral stuff you know combined recent times with like covid and everything broadway and really like all live performance and events have like took like a huge hit it's tragic all the like globally all the like entertainment industries it's kind of it's weird weird times yeah but you know i think it's if there's one thing to you know appreciate is that even though yeah touring is canceled shows are not happening that totally didn't crush the music creativity or spirit amongst people you know if anything it, yeah. it stoked the fire because people are recording and writing and just making the most of the situation no matter what you know it's just kind of what we do <laughs> yeah can't stop it so and and it's important to just i always have to 
remind myself especially that it's not permanent you know this is hopefully just a little blip in history and before you know it we'll uh be able to go back to stadiums and have crowds of people shoulder to shoulder shouting loud shouting along to lyrics you know of their favorite band hopefully that's going to be you know some it's going to be something to go back to it's not going to be like this forever i'm hoping yeah i think so too (laughs) this is only temporary everything's temporary but this is definitely temporary too careful there you're getting a little philosophical with that sorry sorry i'll I'll, I'll (laughs) yeah trying to enter film composition right now is weird too you know kind of the way that it works in terms of mentorship is that if you show up to the gig and you do what's asked of you which is you know sometimes maybe it's already written out and you just need to make a mini mock-up of the score or you're tasked with orchestrating um you know a piano reduction that the composer wrote you know there's different jobs and levels of creation that happens within a composer's team that's completely normal and you know that's how you gain experience that's how you gain contacts and credibility really so that if a composer gets into a situation that they're like hey um, I'm working on three other projects I can't take this but I'll give it to you if you want it you know that's that's kind of the how the relationship works I don't know if I would call it like I don't know if I would go as far as to call it exploitation or anything like that. It's like, because if you think about it, who, if you're, if you're a film composer or if you want to compose for film, who would not want to work with an A-list level composer in Hollywood and get the bragging rights to say, hey, I worked on a blockbuster with so-and-so. That's a great thing on your resume regardless of how much you got paid to do the gig, it still looks great on a resume and you make contacts with people who are definitely in the business. Cause I got to say one thing about the whole film score scene is that I think it's actually not very big. It's not as big as a lot of people make it out to be globally. It is pretty big, but in terms of down here in Southern California, there's only so many, you know, so many people who are really doing it full time and the ones that are doing it full time they you know they have multiple projects they're doing so they need a team of people to help them and that's kind of how it happens like i mean one of the perfect examples that i can think of of this being true for is like if i'm not mistaken i want to do my research super quick but um uh i think benjamin wallfish started co-composing with hans first i do know what happens though where a composer has you know a team of assistants and through their success they get projects on you know tv shows netflix series netflix movies like they get their own foot in the door through these major composers you know so if you go onto like hans zimmer's website he lists a team of people that he's worked with through his very extensive career Mm -hmm. and there's people on here like 
Benjamin Walfish. Let's see. Henry Jackman. James Newton Howard. John Powell. Like these are all people that he has co-wrote with, which are very successful composers on their own, of course, as well. Um, but he, if you keep scrolling down, he lists arrangers, orchestrators, conductors, individual musicians, technical staff, like these guys have so many people that they are reliant on to produce their music that there's plenty of opportunity out there in terms of trying to get your foot in that door. It just depends on what you want to specialize in. Do you want to be a composer? Do you want to work more on recording? Do you want to be more of like, you know, an arranger? There's, and, and you just gotta, you just gotta do it. That's the thing. You have to have a portfolio ready. You can't just knock on his door and say, Hey, I, I'm a composer. <laughs> right, yeah. Can I have a job? And yeah. you know, you gotta have a, you have to have a, you have to have a, portfolio together to be like well this is this is where i'm at and you know but that's just one guy too another person who's actually very open to interns and education is um tom holkenberg do you know him junkie xl he did like mad max um that's probably one of his bigger ones, but he's done a ton of scores. Um, he just did Terminator, the new Terminator movie too. He's he's very cool because he's a one of those guys who does a mixture of orchestra and can also be very synth heavy. Um, he has this giant modular rack in his office that's intimidating, mm-hmm. but he's great to. He's got a YouTube channel which I'd recommend looking into because he talks a lot about the film scoring process and i follow him on instagram too and one time i saw he was like advertising for he was looking for an intern or an assistant or something he's like if you have an interest in film music and blah 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 so opportunities like that are always popping up and it's just you got to be on on the lookout for him the people that i know that you know have ghost writers or work with other people they usually get the credit and the payment that is i'm sure appropriate yeah but it's kind of just like you can't going back to like what i said you can't just like show up and say hey hire me you gotta you gotta do the work before you get the job and the benefits are like you know if you do a good job at ghost writing and stuff it leads to bigger and better projects and all that because you produce good work people are going to want to constantly work with you yeah <laughs> i bought your album by the way i listened to it it, I thought it was cool uh, it's been a while since awesome I to it, but uh yeah i have it on my hey my man album. thank you so much do you like it yeah yeah it's cool i kind of had to every work single it. note <laughs> <laughs> i liked at least uh you know 10% of it, so. <laughs> At least 10%. Woohoo! Man, I think that's the best review I've got yet. You know, I met I met Gordon Goodwin, who's a... Do you know who Gordon Goodwin is? He's no. a big band arranger and writer. Um, he also did the Animaniacs theme. Um, he's just one of those guys who's just a really good big band writer. 
And I met him one time. He was playing at my school. And I just, I said to him, I was like, hey, man, love your music. Uh, <laughs> he's like, really? Every note? <laughs> and he just like, he just like looked me dead in the eye when he said that. And I just kind of like, of course I said yes, but like, it was just, it, it was funny. So that's where I got that from. If you ever want to put someone on the spot, just like. <laughs> that's funny. I'm sorry, Randall. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, he's just, he was a character in a good way. Not that he's ever going to listen to this podcast, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, you said you're working on another one, right? Is that like a sequel to it or is it just like uh, another like collection of things that you got or. Sort of. Uh, yes, um, it is a sequel in the sense that it's going to be a collection of instrumentals. So it's going to be called, you guessed it, Instrumentals Volume 2. Um, and some of the songs are totally new. I recorded them either for the last album and they just, you know, I didn't work on them in that time span or I thought, oh, I'll save that for later. Um, but actually some of the songs are songs that I've already released, but like on SoundCloud or Bandcamp type of things. So I'm, I'm remixing them and redoing the samples because they had like stock sample library sounds that were not mixed very well to begin with. Um, so I'm using better sample libraries. I'm just going to re rework the songs songs because I was listening to them and I want to do them more justice than the form they're currently in. And there's actually going to be some more live musicians other than myself on them. I'm having a few friends uh, sit in on various woodwinds and horns. And uh, my friend Raphael is going to be on drums for one of the songs too. They're all my music, but it's not just me on the records anymore, which is pretty exciting and fun. It's a continuation of the last album, but at the same time, it's kind of its own thing, you know, and I'm really excited to release it. And it's going to be an interesting, an interesting sound because the last one was very sort of post-rock synth driven, like melodic music. And this is a lot more classical. And I'd even say contemporary classical just based on texture harmony and stuff like that form it's got all those elements going on yeah. um which i'm excited to to release so i'm hoping to get some sync license placement with some of these songs too so hmm. if anybody's looking for any music for their no <laughs> yeah. just plug myself right now. <laughs> that's cool man. um yeah, thanks. It's It's been a fun process, just like gathering the tracks and recording all the appropriate overdubs and also becoming a better mixing engineer, just looking up more and trying out new things. Because before I had no idea what, was, what I was doing. Now I've actually got some sort of fundamental understanding, <laughs> I'd yeah. say, at the very least. You got like your setup over there or something, right? Did you want to play something? Sure, I could. I could do a little. Yeah, just kind of like come up with some quick little something and see how it see how it all pans out. Okay. Can you hear that? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's see what we got here. Alrighty. 
I just had to plug my keyboard in. Um, I'll just talk you through it really quick. I have a MIDI keyboard that has an arpeggiator controlling a micro Korg synthesizer. And that is all going into my boss loop station where is getting recorded and looped. And then it's all playing out of this little speaker. When I improvise on this thing, I, I like to think about concepts of like minimalism and going back to like what I was saying earlier about limiting your like sonic palette. I'll try and stick to just a couple elements like bass, lead, you know, sometimes a counter melody, but just keep it more simple and, and really try and utilize space.